0: should be a very interesting program today. We are having uh, Dr. Nikolai Petrovsky with Dr. Kelly Victory, of course. Dr. Petrovsky is the founder and research director of Vaccine, V-A-X-I-N-E. You can find out more about his company at vaccine.net. He's also a well-respected expert in vaccine development and immunology, published over 200 peer-reviewed journals, Uh, our journal articles, inventor of multiple vaccine patents, and uh, many, many grants from the U.S. and Australian government. He's talking to us today from... Australia, and he's recently developed uh, COVAX 19, a spike gene, a vaccine used in Iran for uh, COVID. Uh, there's a lot to be said. He's got many publications. He had an interesting evolution in his thinking. We're going to get a chance to interview him after this. I recently discovered Paleo Valley. They have a line of products that align perfectly with a paleo dietary regimen. Goodbye to the limited rotation of eggs, burgers, and the standard fare. Hello to a wide variety of extraordinary products that are both healthful and delicious. Paleo Valley offers a spectacular range of options, including 100% grass-fed beef sticks. They're packed with nutrients like omega-3 fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, glutathione, CLA, and bioavailable protein. Plus, keto-friendly, make for a great protein-rich snack on the go. Paleo Valley's tasty beef sticks are not just 100% grass-fed, but also grass-finished, sourced from small domestic farms in the U.S. and flavored with real organic spices. They're also fermented, which means they contain natural probiotics that are great for gut health and they taste amazing. Try them out by heading over to paleovalley.com slash drdrew to get 15% off your first order today. Don't miss out on this opportunity to discover a brand that is perfect for your paleo lifestyle and as i said today uh, kelly victory joins us uh, first i'm going to be speaking to dr nikolai petrovsky professor in vaccine development uh and professor and a vaccine developer uh he uses some computer modeling recently to investigate the origins of covid 19 he's uncovered some interesting details particularly about the fear and cleavage site that uh, may give us some interesting uh insights. In addition, as I said, you could find him uh at vaccine.net via x i n e. Please welcome Dr. Nikolai Petrovsky.
1: It's a welcome, pleasure to be here. Thank
0: you. Pleasure to have you. So, I I feel I I read an article of yours recently when you were um, advocating for open conversation about COVID-19 for ending all the censorship. Has your sense of uh what we've been doing in this pandemic and what caused it, and what we've done right, and what we've done wrong? Has it markedly changed across the course of this thing?
1: No, it, it hasn't. I think what what has happened is some of us who were sort of way out on the edge initially three years ago, um, may, maybe because we knew too much, um, because we you know this is the field we've been working in for decades. Um, somehow the the mainstream is slowly moving um to our side um but you know from my perspective um what i I, my views on the origins of the virus and also the management of the pandemic to be honest really haven't changed
0: it it seemed like at the outset you were advocating for vaccinating our way out would that be an accurate way of describing your your position
1: no. So, I, you know, my view from the, the start, and I think, you know, again, the perspective of, of WHO pre-pandemic um, was that, you know, if we were faced with such a pandemic, we should identify who are the high risk groups because it's not always predictable. Sometimes a virus will hit yeah. young children, other times will hit the elderly. Identify who's at, at risk um, and and then you know, roll out hopefully a vaccine quickly for that group, um, because ev- everything has a risk and a benefit. If you're going to right. roll out a vaccine very, very quickly, which is what was happening here, um, then because there's a risk associated with that, we we have to to actually target it to the people who are likely to get the greatest benefit. Um, obviously, that was not what exactly was was done in the end, but that that was certainly how we thought it it should be played. Well,
2: well
0: to 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 that point uh it, it's so bizarre to me that risk benefit analyses seem to have been just completely abandoned during all policy in this in this damn thing. Um and I've been still struggling of late with uh at least in this country this push to vaccinate children just an absolute over the top enthusiasm I, I can you help me understand what the, I, I feel like I miss, I must be missing something. Am I?
1: Look, yeah, I've, I've, you know, as a vaccine developer, I've similarly, um, you know, really wondered about that. Um, you know, we know that now that we're, you know, we're dealing with Omicron, it, it, it it's, you know, um, probably equal severity as, as influenza. You can argue about it, that exactly, but, but, um, and, you know, and children um, with COVID, even more so than influenza, are, are just simply not at risk. Um, you know, they get a sniffle right. for a day or two generally at most. So, so again, I think when you talk risk-benefit, um, obviously the benefit is, is going to be dramatically smaller. Um, that means that, you know, normally we'd be very cautious. and And so, yeah, I don't fully understand the driver for that. It doesn't stop transmission, doesn't stop them still getting infected and giving it to others. Um, so what exactly are we trying to achieve? I, you know, Maybe we're opening up a market for, for next generation vaccines using the same technology, and so the driver is not actually that the children's need an mRNA vaccine against um, COVID, but the manufacturers mm. would like to open that market up and the, and the easiest way to do that is to get everyone accepting uh, of this technology in children uh, right now, you know while we've got a pandemic, and maybe people aren't asking as many questions as they they normally would if if we were doing this mm. outside of the context of a a pandemic
0: of, of a pandemic that has been declared over too by the way and yet and yet yes. i i keep hearing from pediatricians i i can't stand seeing another kid in an icu i'm thinking what how i god i must be missing something i i i i just don't see how omicron is doing that and i i and it feels as though we don't even understand the risk as you're saying to the kids
1: yeah look um you know for most of us the pandemic really was over two years ago um, you know when when omicron you know was a very fortuitous um, you know um, jump from delta which was was you know it, it, it was a serious pathogen um, that was causing mm-hmm. a lot of of people to be hospitalized, causing significant number of deaths once we had omicron really at that point, I think you know most of the emergency was over, and it's just unfortunate yeah. that that you know, uh, I guess governments and health authorities didn't move to to down you know start to downgrade um, the emergency and and remove a lot of those yeah, emergency The
0: weird thing powers, which is if if anything, they they ramped it up. They seemed to like miss their miss the emergency and like the panic and uh, again, just odd, odd stuff
1: yeah i mean it's it's odd if we're thinking about it as as scientists and as doctors, maybe not odd if you're thinking about it from you know political or strategic um objective so so I think that certainly yeah from our mm. sense um you know the fact they've got seem to have doubled down and doubled down um and particularly with the censorship and um you know, the attacks on doctors, um, has been truly extraordinary and and unjustified, um, and, and certainly not justified by the virus. Um, so I think the virus has been used, um, for, for, for other agendas, obviously.
0: Have you been the object of some of that stuff?
1: Uh, yeah, unfortunately I have, um, you know, uh, I've uh, not been able to attend my my I go to the hospital for for eighteen months now um, uh, because I chose not to have an mRNA vaccine. I actually, not surprisingly, having developed a successful protein based vaccine, that's the vaccine I had, but um, they they uh, won't acknowledge that. Um, and uh, mm. and so you know I I'm normally work as a clinician, but I've not been able to do that for eighteen months. So. Um, wow. yeah, it, it, it's been difficult and,
2: and difficult what is your to understand. So,
1: yeah, so I'm an yeah, endocrinologist. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I'm a okay. clinical endocrinologist, mm, but you know, I'm awful. not the only really one. Just, um,
0: <laughs> oh, I know, I know. It's just awful. I I, I know like, over here, it's just been wild. So you've had some recent, um, computer modeling that, that uncovered some details about the cleavage, fur and cleavage site that uh, perhaps gave some clues on the origin of the virus? Is that accurate?
1: So it, it, it's actually not not new, um, interestingly. We did this in the, the first few weeks um, of 2020, um, you know, when the viral sequence was first released. So we, we hadn't even seen the, the virus in Australia at that time. But we use supercomputers to model viruses. So when we got this new genetic sequence we put it into our models obviously we're thinking can we build a model of virus to make a vaccine because remember we had no idea what this virus was um and 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 we were set about that but we also thought well we could use this model of the virus to to work out where it came from because um you know we know that it's attaching to this receptor ace2 um in humans, and um, if it's come from an animal source, then we there should be an animal out there whose ACE2 um, binds better to the virus than, than human ACE2. So, so we innocently set about yeah, modeling all the different animals um, to understand which animal the virus came from. Um, the surprising <laughs> result of that, uh, rather than finding some you know exotic animal at the top of the list, uh, we found humans. <laughs> A, a not very exotic mm. animal. And of course, that raised really interesting questions because it said this virus, uh, if, if you went by our original thinking, it came, must have come from from humans because it's so um, well human adapted. Um, that, that really had us scratching our heads how to explain that conundrum. Um, and of course, you know, one of the possibilities is that was by chance, but it that that seemed highly unlikely, um, given the stringency of the work we'd done. The other explanation is that maybe it had adapted to human cells in some, you know, sense. And, and obviously, then, you know, the, the most likely place for that is a laboratory. And so, so that did raise the question: um, was the source of this virus not directly from from an animal? Um, did it get modified or? or somehow was it, it uh, an accidental laboratory release, which we've seen with other viruses in the past. So, so it was innocent work, but it took a long, long time to get it published because um, you know the narrative was that that was not an acceptable uh, question to be asking, because we were just asking a question. We weren't trying to tell anyone anything other than, here's our research, here's what it shows, um, you know, the furin cleavage site, which is what you referred to as the other intriguing thing that looked like a smoking gun. Uh, again, I, I know the head of the CCC at the time said the same things. Many people have said the same things, but in our modeling, it was, it, it was clear to us that it looked like the furin cleavage site was not a natural part of this virus. Um, because if you compare it to the original SARS virus, um, you know, from 20 years ago, which which is again a, a relative of SARS-CoV-2. It, it doesn't have that furin cleavage site, which is so important to um, the pathogenesis of this virus. So, so again, it just asks lots of questions, but we weren't allowed to ask those questions or or put that information um, out there in a scientific journal uh, for over a year and. Um, you know which was very disappointing and again was reflected yeah, that of the censorship of science that was yes. going on at that time
0: yes that that the lack of risk reward considerations and the fact that i i'm not sure i'm seeing the the full spectrum of scientific uh discourse in the medical journals that 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 is un- i mean that is mind-boggling that that is breathtaking that I, you know, these journals that I've relied on my entire career, now I have to worry that there's a whole body of evidence I'm not seeing because they're editorially dictating how science progresses. I, I, did you have, I, and you seem very even about all this, I would be beside myself if it were my articles being uh, censored.
1: Yeah, look, I guess with the benefit of time, you know, um, you realize you just have to get on with the job and, and communicate with people and let people know what, what's been happening. And I agree with you, once you can't trust um, the science and, and what's in the scientific and medical journals, not because what, what is there is necessarily um, wrong, but because there's a whole other side um, of the story that you're not seeing. Um so your view your perspective is being dramatically distorted you you know you do start to question everything and wonder, well, who can I believe um, and right. you know how yeah. how do I get that other information that is being concealed from me you know is is there another source and or do I have to go to you know, the the root source, like, you know, I've been poring over, um, you know, various data sets um, that are available around the world, and others, again, similarly, have gone to, to just raw data, which is an enormous task, but, you, you know, maybe we can believe the raw data if we analyse it. And when you do that, you often will get to a totally different conclusion to what you're seeing in the major medical journals. Um, and 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 that's concerning because because I believe you're right that there is a, a great distortion going on by censorship and and only selectively allowing certain material to be seen.
0: Yeah, I remember I became aware of this when the Danish mask study was concluded, and uh, I remember there was great excitement about it. Well, finally, we're going to see how masks work and how great they are. And then you hear New England Journal passed. Then you hear Journal of American Medical Association passed. And finally, it was much later published in Annals of Internal Medicine, something I read but not routinely read by everybody. And I was proud of that journal for doing it, but it was a negative. It was a negative result. Uh, and then that article, of course, was roundly attacked, which is, of course, part of the scientific method. But every time there's a negative result that goes contrary to the narrative, it doesn't get published that that's not the scientific discourse so Nikolai petrovsky thank you he's an immunologist academic physician vaccine inventor we are going to bring dr kelly victory in here to discuss this with us further uh, before we do bring dr victory in i'm going to take a little break again for more information on dr petrovsky's company it's vaccine.net v-a-x-i-n-e let's take that break and get right back to this conversation Over the last few months, no doubt you've heard a lot about spike protein, certainly on this program. The reality is once lockdowns are well behind us, we will likely still be dealing with the effects of COVID and potentially the COVID-19 vaccines. Therefore, the spike protein may prove to be an important part of our story. With that in mind, I want to introduce you to the wellness company's spike support formula. Whether you've been vaccinated or not, spike protein may be something you have become concerned about. Good news is that there's some interesting research on how to potentially deal with it. Studies have suggested that natokinase and dandelion root are showing some potential in protecting you and your family. Our friend Dr. Peter McCullough and the team at The Wellness Company have the only product on the market that contains both natokinase and dandelion root. In addition to the natokinase and the dandelion root, The Wellness Company's spike support formula also includes Natural antioxidant ingredients such as black sativa extract, green tea, and iris sea moss, all thought to help boost immune health. Go to twc.health/drew to order today. Use code DREW at checkout for 10% off today. With Mother's Day quickly approaching, what better way to express your love than by giving the gift of younger-looking, beautiful skin with the luxurious feel of Genucel skincare? Susan, who is a huge fan of the brand, has raved about their ultra retinol product, which contains powerful retinol alternative, bakuchiol and a proprietary MDL technology to soothe irritation and target red blotchy skin. Additionally, their under eye treatment is perfect for hiding those pesky bags and puffiness that can result from long flights or lack of sleep.
3: I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. scrubs And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com.
0: In fact, you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of GenuCell Redness Repair Intensive during a recent unplanned moment of our show. Repairing my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That's just how fast this stuff works. Celebrate the special mom in your life today by visiting genuselcom Drew and check out the personalized packages from Susan and from myself bundled with our favorite GenuCell products. And remember to use the promo code Drew for an extra 10% off. All orders are upgraded to free shipping. Plus, if you order now, every package purchased gets a free spring spa package with three of GenuCell's best-selling spa products, ready to try in the comfort of your own home. Again, that's genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home, quote, our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar. Inflation, deficit, spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is, there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times. Gold. And you can own it in a tax shelter retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right, Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just visit birchgold.com slash drew for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the entire process. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. I do not give financial advice, and previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. Visit birchgold.com slash drew to get your free info kit
2: on gold. That is is dot slash D-R-E-W. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with
0: ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So
4: optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial
5: now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com
2: with the code POD. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial
0: topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv.
6: There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate, of public health, to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew.
0: And Dr. Petrovsky, this is Dr. Kelly Victory.
6: Hi, Hi Dr. Kelly. Petrovsky. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, particularly given the the huge time difference. I really appreciate you making the time available. And I want to—I'm going to start. There's lots I want to talk to you about, but I'm going to start where you all ended which is with regard to this uh, issue about the origin uh and I, I am not an immunologist and i am not a, a dna or rna specialist either but i was one of the first people very very early on uh, claiming that this was a man-made or man-manipulated virus that came out of a lab and in fact uh, It was my first of of many to follow uh bans from twitter for stating the same i I was an i was an early heat seeking missile in this entire uh uh pandemic Um, but i got kicked off twitter early on for saying that this was lab um originated virus and what i want you to do is i'm going to give you a minute i'd like you to explain to our listeners in we have a largely non-scientific um uh, viewership so i want you to explain if you would sort of in in very simple terms when you say furin cleavage site use your most simple way of explaining what that is and and what it is about having found that on this virus that leads you to believe that it was in fact uh lab manipulated
1: right okay <laughs> One minute. So the, <laughs> the furin cleavage site. Um, so so the the virus has a protein on its surface, the spike protein, which is what attaches to our cells. Without the spike protein, it can't infect. Um, in order to for that spike protein to work to bind to cells, it it has to be cut with a pair of scissors, which is called a a, a, a furin, which is an enzyme inside our cells, um, and so um, the. Viruses like um, SARS-CoV-2 don't have a furin cleavage site. Other viruses do, um, like the bird flu, which is a very lethal virus. So furin cleavage sites are like a a warning sign that this could be uh, a particularly dangerous virus. The the weird thing is that SARS-CoV-2 has this furin cleavage site and none of its relatives have. So it's a, it's a bit like you know if, if you, um, uh, you know, have a baby born that doesn't look like any of its relatives or its parents, you, you start to question its origins. Um, so this virus, it's the same. It has this furin cleavage site. None of its relatives have the furin cleavage site. It becomes a really important question. It, it needs this furin cleavage site to be so infectious for humans. Where did it come from? How did it get in there? And no one to this day has been able to address, answer that question. Um, the, the, you know, no one's found a, a, an ancestor that, that has it.
6: Great. So so the analogy that I've made, and you can correct me if you think I'm off base when I've explained it to people, is that I say, if you ever have received a Word document where someone has been sloppy and they've cut and pasted something in from another document and they somehow didn't get the fonts just right. So most of the documents written in Times New Roman, but then there's one sentence or a paragraph that's written in Calibri. And so you can tell that they cut and spliced a section into this document and that it wasn't naturally occurring there. Um, So it has the telltale signs on the end of the splice that this is something that is out of place in this document and that that is in in a way how this furin cleavage to people who understand the genetics and the makeup of these at a molecular level, somebody like yourself. It would stick out like a sore thumb to them as something that doesn't belong or didn't naturally occur
1: exactly yeah when when we looked at the sequence like it just jumped out of the page so to speak as you say just just like a really different font that had been you know a bit of text had been stuck in in bold or something would jump out of the page so so we looked at it and we looked at the SARS sequence, um, which at the time was the only other reference sequence, and where and, and this was just so clearly different. Um, and it, it it's it's complicated, but, but it's not easy for a virus to um to to create a furin cleavage site itself through mutation, which people have suggested. But it just doesn't work that way. It has to come from another virus, just the way it's in there, and, and no one's found you know, where it could have come from.
6: And the other important thing, I think, uh, for people to understand is that the, um, the insertion of this or this cure and cleavage site specifically makes the, the resultant virus more lethal, more not only more infective, but more dangerous, correct? Where a normal mutation, viruses mutate, all viruses mutate, coronaviruses are particularly adept at it, but as viruses mutate, with very rare exception, they do two things: they become more contagious, but less lethal. Uh, and this furin cleavage site would be, if it had occurred by a mutation, would be a mutation in the opposite direction, making something more lethal or or ca- capable of creating more severe illness. Correct. E-
1: to a degree, yeah. I mean, um, the only way to really test that is to take the furin cleavage site out and then compare the two viruses. Um, you know, which which has been done, and and definitely it's less infectious without the the furin cleavage site there. So, and and I guess what was really the the a light bulb moment for me is you know because we were speculating, obviously, you know, could this have been inserted um, you know by humans um, you know was to to later on um, see that in fact you know there were research proposals um, by virologists from back in 2018 where they were proposing to do exactly that to take furin cleavage sites put them into bat coronaviruses to see how they influence the infectivity of the virus so so really, that that told us that not only was it possible, but people were thinking about it. And in fact, we now know people were doing it. We just don't have the evidence that they did it with this particular one. But when you're you're speculating about you know how could it have got there, and you know that scientists were were doing this type of work, then of course it, you know you add two and two and you know you may get four. i mean it doesn't prove it but it becomes much more likely
6: yeah and so i would ask you is there any doubt in your mind given the amount of research you've done on this and your deep knowledge about it do you have any doubt that this was a lab manipulated virus, how it got out, we don't know. And and you may or may not have theories about that, whether it was purposeful, nefarious or just abject incompetence. But is there any doubt in your mind that it, in fact, emanated from a laboratory rather than directly from the wet market or from an animal source?
1: Well, as a scientist, you know, nothing's absolute um, till, till it's proven. Um, and and so, you know, yes, of course, you know, I, I wouldn't say with absolute certainty this is the case. You know, with circumstantial evidence, I think there's a large body of circumstantial evidence that that suggests it could have um, been an accidental laboratory leak or something related mm-hmm. to that. You know, um, there are other yeah. scenarios around that with human intervention. Um but you know if if someone finds this virus in nature and proves that you know i'm certainly very ready to you know accept that you know it was an unlikely event but that was how it happened but after three years zero evidence really in my view has been put forward to support the the fact or the suggestion that this just naturally um came via an animal source because We don't have the animal and surely everyone's looking for it. Right.
6: All right, so so let's change gears and this will circle us back uh, ultimately to the origin question, but let's talk about vaccines. I have um, said for a long time that uh, immunology is the last great frontier of human medicine. The human immune system does not always respond the way that we think it is going to. Uh, Despite what people have said about me over these last three and a half years, I am not quote anti-vaccine, I'm more heavily vaccinated than the average person um, because of where I've chosen to travel and what I've, I've done for a living. That said, there is good reason that the average vaccine takes six to eight years to come to market if it ever makes it to market. Many, as you well know, fail uh, and sometimes fail miserably during the extensive animal testing. I'm interested that when you went to create your vaccine um, for this, that you chose specifically a recombinant uh, vaccine, not an mRNA based vaccines. So spend a little bit of time talking, if you would, number one, about your thoughts about mRNA vaccines, that that your history with them or your experience with them, Mm -hmm. and why you chose a different platform to pursue in your own vaccine development.
1: So that's a great question. Um, the answer is that right at the start, um, we, we were platform agnostic. Obviously we'd had a lot of success with protein-based vaccines um, in the past, um, you know, not just uh, against pandemic influenza, uh, but you know, against the original SARS virus, against the MERS virus. We'd developed protein-based vaccines and shown that they were highly protective you know, in small and and large animal models. So we thought that that was the default setting, that that a protein-based vaccine are the best vaccines, they're very safe, um, you know, they have an enormous track record. They are challenging to make, um, and so we knew it was gonna be a hard task. So in parallel with developing the protein-based vaccine, we we also made a DNA vaccine, we made a mRNA vaccine. and, and we're comparing the, the different um, technologies, but you know we rapidly defaulted back to the protein. You know the, the data suggested that was going to be the best approach. Um, the animal data was showing that it was protecting them, uh, and we weren't seeing any side effects. And so um, at that point, we stopped the other uh, programs and just focused on, on the protein. Um, you know, uh, with mRNA, um, you know, there'd been a lot of, um, if anything, um, doubt as to whether it, it it could deliver. There'd been some um, small phase one studies prior to the pandemic um, looking at its use for, for other um, pathogens. And the data wasn't that impressive, to be honest. Um, uh, compared to a protein-based approach, and obviously the technology itself was still massively in its infancy. There just wasn't much experience or data, so we thought regulators wouldn't be ready to to an approve mRNA vaccine. Um, so, so to be honest, yeah, from our perspective, it, it wasn't going to be viable, even if it worked, because regulators would push back, as you say, and just want a lot more safety data um, in, in animals before they'd be ready to, to you know, put it in, in, into large populations. Obviously, we were, we were wrong about that. Um, and you can argue about, you know, did the regulators get it right or wrong um, in, in doing so? But, you know, uh, the, the protein-based data is, is still, I think, um, very robust and, and it's still the vaccine I rely on. Um, and so, um, yeah. So that's, I,
6: uh, yeah. So it's fascinating. So you were doing, you were actually looking at multiple platforms, not just the protein base. Yeah. You actually were looking at both the DNA and mRNA platform as well and comparing them and doing them in tandem. Did, were you seeing, you said you saw less efficacy or that you felt the efficacy was better yeah. for your protein base. Were you seeing adverse events? related or getting concerned about potential adverse events related to the other platforms, specifically the mRNA?
1: So we, the answer is we never got that far as to be able to see okay. that. Um, okay. so, so, you know, when you're initially doing these things, you're doing them in mice um, and, and in small right. numbers. Um, with the the side effects that um, you know we we see with these specific different vaccine technologies, typically you know you a lot of them you 'll only see when you go to large animals when when you 're doing post mortems and um, looking very carefully for where are they going what are they doing um, we did we never even got to that point because we just weren't getting the um, immune responses that we would have liked now um Part of that may be again that um, we weren 't using lipid nanoparticles as a delivery mm-hmm. technology okay. for, the, for the mRNA. so so to be honest yeah. um, yeah. uh, that 's probably why it wasn 't working um, to give a you know a, a beneficial response, um, but it could also be why, for instance, we may not have seen um, side effects, but um, you know as I say, it is difficult and and just doing things in mice is is not always you know, that informative and, um, you know, you really have to look for side effects to find them. If I can put it that way, Um, you don't just, they don't just appear or or generally they don't.
0: The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family, dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24 seven
3: You have
6: two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years
0: now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, oh boy, he came right, oh there he is. (laughs) They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President.
3: That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain and we also extract it in a proprietary way and that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products.
0: Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers, it's not a your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to slash pet club 247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com, P E T C L U B 247. Pet club 247.
6: Uh, anyone who's been paying attention uh, now knows that um, not only did the, the uh, mRNA vaccine manufacturers, namely Moderna and Pfizer, not look to see if their mRNA shots would prevent transmission. They they don't prevent you from getting COVID and, and they didn't even look to see if they prevented transmission of the virus to others. Were you able to determine in your testing whether your platform, your DNA vaccine, prevented? Uh, presumably, you believe it prevented uh, the contraction of the virus. Was it able to prevent transmission, therefore, of the virus to others?
1: Sorry, um, I think you said DNA vaccine. So I, I, you know, protein. Protein I'm sorry.
6: Protein I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Protein. I, 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 probably, I, I probably did. I'm sorry. Your protein but, but, was it but able I do to
0: know, prevent? But I. I, I do know that Dr. Prudovsky is a fan of DNA vaccines. I've read several of his articles on this.
1: Yeah, look, but, we've but researched I, it, DNA vaccines as well, but, but we just don't, again, think they're ready for the, the prime time. Yeah. There's a lot more work needs to be done. But mm-hmm. so, so we are very much uh, protein-based um vaccine yes. so so um, yes so did yeah. your
6: protein based vaccine yeah. stop both yeah. the uh, the contraction of the of the virus as well as transmission of the virus to others
1: so so it actually was was quite exciting that um we were doing um, some studies with a collaborator in in fact in Kazakhstan who had a, a animal a hamster model set up and he was the first to to come back and say, look, I've been testing your protein-based vaccine in the animals, and I've not only shown I can protect the animals themselves, but when I put naive animals that haven't been vaccinated in the cages of the, the ones I've just infected who have been vaccinated, they're not passing on the virus um, to the other animals. We've subsequently did another study uh, in the United States at, um, at Colorado State University, um, and, and similarly, they, they they were looking at this whole question of can the vaccine actually um, reduce transmission, uh, and similarly saw saw the same thing. So um, that looked very promising. Um, you know, in terms of humans, again, um, it, it's very complex to try and design studies mm-hmm. to to look at transmission, and um, so so it's really only when you give it your vaccine to a whole community, right. that you, you can then you know, look at the epidemiological data to say, are we seeing less transmission? Right. So transmission is something we need to study in animals. We've shown that we can block transmission in animals, but we can't say that we can block transmission in humans you know, until we can Fair find enough. a way to collect right. that sort of right. data. But, but it right. is really very, very promising. With, with the protein-based vaccines, they're a little bit, um, um, well, I guess they're like the other vaccines. We, we don't claim that we will stop infection. Uh, and, in fact, might sound strange, but um, infection, because it gives natural immunity, is a powerful force on the immune system. If, if your vaccine completely prevents you even getting a single virus, um, getting inside a cell, it, it it may be initially effective, but once that effect wears off, you're now vulnerable right. again. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of vaccines people don't realise are designed to allow you to get a very, very um, minor infection, in many cases what we call an asymptomatic infection where you don't even know you're infected. Um, and if a vaccine can allow you to do that, to safely get this this tiny infection that can then give your immune system a boost, you'll actually end up with much, much better long-term protection uh, than you would get either from the infection itself or from the vaccine itself. So so this is the subtlety of vaccines that never gets discussed, that a vaccine that allows a a very uh, mild infection actually may turn out to be the best vaccine, and the vaccine like mRNA that initially looked to be really strong at stopping infection in those phase three trials, now it's not stopping infection at all. So ironically, the one that might have looked better at the start right. may actually do worse at the end, and we're not being allowed to discuss that sort of nuance um, that, right. I think is really important. And just so that people
6: understand, as you're saying, if if the vaccine doesn't allow you to get even a tiny amount of the virus to become intracellular, you will never develop. And you can't develop antibodies to something that you've never actually been able to see. So you need that, that small amount of an infection, that small amount of exposure to the virus, so that you will mount an adequate antibody response and and develop that memory uh that fighting force that you know army of antibodies to be ready in the future if you come in contact with it with it again then what i wanted to to bring you back around to now knowing everything you know about the vaccines quote unquote the mrna shots that were developed so remarkably quickly um, and brought to market so remarkably fast for this novel virus. Um, What let's talk about that and what you believe or may um, think they knew ahead of time. As you said, we know that going back at least to 2018, they were contemplating doing this sort of manipulation with the furin cleavage site into a SARS uh, type virus. Uh, it, I find it remarkable that they came so quickly with these mRNA vaccines, and I think the reason they did is because they had a head start, if you will. Um, I suspect they started working on these and the patents would uh, lead us to believe that they started working on these vaccines well prior to the pandemic. Um, so let's go down that, uh, go explore that a little bit and t- talk about your thoughts.
1: Yeah. Look, um, you know, one of the reasons we were fast too is that um, you know we we were similarly working on on coronaviruses before um, 2020. So as I mentioned, you know, we'd been working on SARS and, and MERS uh, vaccines for for a long time. And so to, to 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 be give them credit, I mean, the same groups, um, you know, particularly Moderna, Pfizer came into the game very late um, and and sort of. Backdoored onto Biontech's work, so they weren't in the space at all. But Moderna um, were doing, um, you know, mRNA vaccines for MERS um, coronavirus. So I'm sure a lot of what they learned from from the, the you know those studies of of MERS allowed them to to move much um, more quickly when um, SARS-CoV two came along. So you know uh, so that that i think you know we 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 know and it's a fact that we're all we were all looking for a coronavirus to cause potentially a pandemic in the future and we're trying to prepare as best we could um and that did allow us to move faster did did they you know get early tip offs um you know about this virus in in china um you know i don't think we can say but um but yeah. certainly um you know, it wasn't the, the, that we weren't all working and, and worried about a coronavirus um, pandemic. Right. I, in fact, I, I, I looked at a paper I wrote in 2016, I, you know, I said at the end basically I think the next big pandemic could well be a coronavirus, um, whereas at the time most people were thinking influenza. So, so right. it was predictable right. to a degree
6: interesting Talking, if you're comfortable I'd, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit change directions you're sitting in australia um australia was has done somewhat of a, a 180 perhaps it went from the most uh, egregious uh, affronts to to civil liberties it was really the most uh, draconian lockdowns and restrictions on its population and now frankly has been um perhaps better, uh, more insightful than we are here in the United States with regard to pulling back on things like mandates for vaccines for pregnant women and children and these sorts of things. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience as an Australian being there at the height of the, the lockdown and then how it is that you believe they got to where they are now, which is really quite different.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> some of us uh, here believe that it's got a long way to go. Um, <laughs> so, so yes, some of the mandates, you know, the mass mandates um, have have been rolled back. Um, you know, some of the the vaccine mandates, but they're still quite a lot um, still actually in effect at, at particular groups um, throughout Australia. So. Um, but, it, it, you know, as I say, yeah, what happened, I believe, was not justified on a public health perspective. The You know, the length of some of these procedures or, or um, you know, mandates um, was just way too long, even if you could argue that, you know, if, if you're dealing with a, a crisis and a new virus, um, that, you know, doing something in those first few weeks, you know, Um, uh, whether you can justify it or not, may be, you know, um, reasonable. Um, It's not reasonable when you continue it, you know, for six months, a year, two years, three years, Um, especially when there's a, you know, you have a massive amount of of data that it's not working, um, as Mm -hmm. we've seen Mm -hmm. with with obviously the masks. I mean, you know, there is no evidence that I'm aware that, um, that supports that they they were actually doing anything beneficial or useful, so um, you know uh, the fact, very fact that those things were done i mean I think in itself is a problematic I think the fact they, they were continue, and some as I say, continue to this day is is completely unacceptable. Um, and uh, so, so, unfortunately, no, uh, Australia is not as free a country as, as you might have got the perception over there. Um, you know, I'm still subject to, to vaccine mandates. Um, the, the mask mandates um, in our hospital were just dropped a few weeks ago, um, but they, you still have to wear them in clinical areas. Um, you know, yeah, it's just yeah. now when you're in an office by yourself, you don't have to wear it. Well, that right. never made right. any sense to me. Right, are, are three Australians, years ago, are
0: Australians are, are Australians pushing back on all this? Have there been a, a counter trend in any way?
1: Um, a little bit, but but not not surprisingly little. Um, I mean, Australians mm-hmm. are pretty law-abiding, and and you know they'll usually you know cooperate if they think. Um, it's reasonable. Um, but I think a lot of us were surprised at just just how accepting the population, you know, mm. have been. And I think, again, that that's because of the media and the way the media was right. took control that's of right. the messaging. And, and aren't they, and, 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 aren't and they terrifying expressing concerns people.
0: about that? Yeah. Also not public yeah. health yeah. Uh, policy. You know, that should never be public health policy. A panicking uh, population is ne- Never going to lead to more health or better health behaviors. I mean, can you imagine during the HIV epidemic where you would just started screaming at people about their sexual partners and and how uh, inappropriate their behaviors were, and they were going to die if they can get, continue to engage in them? It's the same exact phenomenon. I, I want to quickly go back to your protein um, vaccine. I, right, you, you, it's like Novavax is a similar vaccine over here. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So that's the and closest. I, Right. I was also reading that there's that Iran has another. Then your vaccine became used in Iran. I hear. Here's, I was reading they had another one called Soberana. That's a different one. Is that correct? Uh,
1: Soberana is a Cuban vaccine. So, <laughs> um, but in, but, in but Iran is export, yeah. So 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 the, yeah. the the Iranian government, yeah, did did a deal, and um, uh, and so they've got a number of vaccines. They've got Chinese vaccines there. They've got a couple of um, AstraZeneca look-alike uh, viral vector vaccines, and and then is is anybody? Um, th- my question was: right. We
0: have all these different. You know, physicians. You know, I just noticed in the UK they uh, they approved the use of the uh, mRNA vaccines for six months to five years of age, and people are you know expressing certain degrees of outrage and whatnot. Look. I'm of the opinion that it's not just the approval process that is in question. Physicians should have the opportunity to use a variety of therapeutics for their patients should they wish to deploy them. It's these mandates and the pushing and the excessive fear-mongering. That's the part that is irresponsible and unethical. To that point, I'm wondering, is anyone looking at Iran and the different mixes of vaccines that are being deployed and what the consequences have been?
1: Uh, look, I'm, I've been strongly encouraging them to to do that. I guess you know, uh, unfortunately, Iran is, is you know been uh, in a lot of turmoil, um, not just because of the pandemic, but obviously um, you know they've had um, significant protests and political upheaval. <laughs> trying to do science and collect. Data in in that environment um, on what you know the different vaccines might be doing is is extremely problematic, um, unfortunately. And uh, but certainly, yeah, I do every time I talk to them. I encourage them to try and collect that, as you say, comparative data to say, well, which which vaccines ultimately look like they're doing the best. I mean, we keep hearing ours is doing really well, but you know, again, I like to see all of the data.
6: Well, we'll, we'll also again, with regard to these man with these mandates At, at,
1: at, at what risk reward is the it, question
0: once again. It, it,
6: it, Yeah, I mean, because, Drew, all of these these conversations completely ignore uh, the presence and the powerful nature of, of, uh, first of all, of natural immunity, um, that the the vast Mm -hmm. majority of the population has already had this virus and recovered from it. Mm -hmm. And once that's the case, and you add on top of that that the vaccines don't prevent transmission to others, there's absolutely zero Mm -hmm. justification. There's zero scientific rationale to mandate a, a vaccine. For someone who's already had the virus when the vaccine itself cannot guarantee that you will prevent transmission to others. It's up to that individual. I mean, we allow people to smoke it, cigarettes and and do all sorts of yeah. things that are known to be harmful to their health. If, if you don't want to take a vaccine to pr- potentially prevent your uh, contracting a virus, that's that's really your own choice. Do we have a consensus Absolutely.
0: yet on how long the immunity goes uh, following Omicron? Is are we we were saying a year at one point? I heard six months at one point. Does anybody have any good sense of how long the immunity lasts with Omicron?
1: So, well, <laughs> what what we're seeing is is at least a, a, a year, and again, it depends on the context. Um, there, there's no doubt the people who are doing best, um, you know, uh, are. The people in our studies who've had the protein-based vaccine, a significant number have got um, mild infections subsequently because we, unlike other companies, we track all of that and we're honest about our data. <laughs> um, you know, so I think over the last year and a half, um, maybe, um, you know, half of the people in, in the studies have reported a mild um, infection but then they've not got any subsequent infection. So, um, right. so it looks like you, know, you have your protein, you might get one mild infection and then um, you don't get infected again. Whereas the people that we talk to have had the mRNA typically will tell us they've had two, three infections after having right. five or six mRNA shots. I think the yeah, CEO of Pfizer, I was amazed when he came out and on social media and said, I've had four shots of mRNA And I've just had two um, infections with COVID, you know, a a month or two apart. That seems to be the pattern of disease that we're seeing after mRNA. But we don't see that with our protein. You know, as I say, we see one infection and then nothing. Like, you know, complete protection. So there's something different we need to understand. And I just can't believe that regulators are not demanding more science on these. Technologies, you know the, the the new technologies. We don't know what they're doing. Okay. Clearly, they're not working. I mean, additional boosts do nothing. I mean, I think you know we've seen people getting six shots of mRNA, um, but it, they're still getting infected. So, so it, it, we need to understand better why why that why have they gone wrong. They looked okay right at the very beginning, but I think things have gone wrong and no one's asking the question, what, what, what is it about them that's different to a protein-based vaccine?
6: Yeah, well, I think the data are irrefutable that they not only don't prevent COVID, uh, but this is independent uh, of all of the adverse events, the serious adverse events. I know know, here in the United States, we are fortunate to have people following the data very closely. We, We had a long conversation yesterday with Ed Dowd. Uh, who's looking at um, the, the data in the United States specifically with regard to um, all cause mortality and di- huge increases in disability rates here. Uh, is there someone similarly looking at issues in uh, Australia that may well and uh, be related to adverse events from the MRNA shots themselves?
0: And 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 once you answer that question, uh, we've got some questions. Uh, some callers want to ring in here over in our Twitter Spaces, uh, so go ahead and answer that question, and we'll maybe take some questions off the Twitter Spaces.
1: So so the answer is that you know um, I think we're starting to see the tip of the iceberg in terms of um, people coming forward now with vaccine injuries because you know we knew they were happening as a clinician. You know we'd talk to people sure. who had. And people contact yes. me who had horrific stories to tell. Um, yeah. Even some of my yeah. colleagues uh, were crippled. Yeah. Um, you know, but it never it never was allowed to um, come out, so to speak. It was not talked yeah. about. In the last few weeks, you know, we have seen um, the media in Australia actually running some stories um, on on these individuals. Um, you know, after three years. Um, so so and we've got a class action that that's just um started uh that um is basically collecting these people together with with serious vaccine injuries and and now prosecuting the government and the regulators um you know uh to seek compensation and also to seek redress for what they believe were yeah. um, inappropriate, um, actions, as you say. So I, I think the answer is, um, we weren't allowed to see it till now, but, you know, hopefully from now, these people can, can actually get, you know, a fair treatment, um, and get right. their stories well, out. they should, because-
0: should go after the media also while they're at it to, to yeah. you know, for having inappropriately silenced, uh, stories and, uh, and, and, and encourage the panic and the mandates.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have a First Amendment in, in, in Australia, so <laughs> uh, the, the media are untouchable as far as I can see, and anyone who yeah. tries to take Sheesh. the me- media on um, is going to get destroyed here. So uh, unfortunately, yeah. uh, I, you know, I think that it would be great if we could, uh, but uh, you know, the media in Australia, yeah, yeah are, are a beast yeah. unto themselves. Yeah. Do you have well, a question there, spaces, Drew? You want to
0: few, Yeah. If, if other people, I'm just going to encourage those in the audience there. If you want to raise your hand, uh, the cartoon that's up uh, alongside of us here tells you how to request to be a speaker. And uh, if you do come up, if I do pick you, you will be streaming out on multiple platforms: Twitter, Twitch, Rumble, YouTube, um, uh, Facebook, uh, wherever you can find these things. We will be. Don't, and so again, don't
3: say something your mom wouldn't like.
0: Uh, from the questioners, please. (laughs)
3: It's public.
0: Uh, Okay, fair enough. Uh, So go ahead and raise your hand and then once you are called up, you have to hit that microphone in the lower left-hand corner to unmute yourself. Here's, uh, let's get a question from Josh here. Josh, go ahead. Dr. Drew. Hey, sir.
4: Um, So I just wanted to say that some of the stuff I'm hearing sounds a little political. Um, I really don't have a position either way, but when it comes to the origin, I feel like it, we're we're trying to promote our own view of it. And it's obviously an extremely hot political issue uh, just to prove the other side wrong for no other reason. And it gets in the way of the science because I, I'm hearing things that just go to that without really an explanation I Correct. feel like I'm I'm being I feel like I'm being cheated a little
0: bit yeah frankly. you are you are being I let that's I think Dr. Petrovsky thank you for the question went out of his way to say look I was just asking questions I was not even advocating a position we were just raising the issues for what would ordinarily happen for the scientific process to unfold where we all talk about this uh, through publications and otherwise but that's not at all what happened was
1: it that's exactly the point. Uh, I think, as you say, um, when you're not allowed to ask a question, then, then there's a serious problem. Um, and, and, you know, there was a whole narrative, and we now, through Freedom of Information, even know who the big players were who decided to shut that discussion down. And they themselves, in their own emails a few days before shutting the discussion down, were all saying the same things. But I'm saying that they were worried about the fueling cleavage site. They were worried this virus had features that really suggested it wasn't natural. And three days later, they changed the narrative, put out a a high profile publication saying anyone who suggests that this isn't a natural virus is a conspiracy theorist. Well, they they nailed themselves in retrospect as being the conspiracy theorists because they created the conspiracy.
0: Fred, I'm going to go to you in just a second. But, you know, I've listened to interviews with some of the players that were there sort of building that nature article. And to hear them tell it, you know, it was was a good-natured, good-faith attempt to put something together. The problem is... Anything questioning it was met with fire and fury. That that's the problem, is that the the usual scientific discourse and interplay amongst clinicians and scientists was completely cut off. And anyone daring to stand up was not just criticized, was destroyed. And that that is reprehensible behavior. Fred, you have a question.
6: I, I would also yeah I would also I submit to you that it it goes beyond. It, Hang on for one second, I would also submit to you that it goes way beyond politics needing to understand whether something is naturally occurring or has been synthesized. Because when it comes to understanding or predicting the mutations, for example, or the potential treatments, for example, it is critical to know, is this going to mutate the way that we anticipate from a normal, naturally occurring virus? Or should we be waiting for something else? Do we need to be anticipating a different mutation rate, a different transmission rate, a different infectivity rate and on and on. So it is not purely political to understand the origins and whether or not something is naturally occurring or lab manipulated, um, despite the fact that it may sound highly political in nature. I'm sorry, go on to your next question.
0: Fred, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: And just, just to add no, to no, that, no, I mean, no, it's sorry. important. No, wait, geez, hang on a second. Know. Dr.
0: Petrovsky is going to pile on. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, sir. No,
1: I was just going uh, yeah. I to say, we, we don't want another pandemic. If this really was a lab leak, right. we don't want this right. to happen again. Right. Um, we, right. need, we need to right. know so we can put strategies in place to stop it happening again. So right. it's not, this is not a political discussion about the origins. It's right. about we, we must get to the bottom of it and understand how it happened.
0: Let's stand back and let Fred now. Sorry Fred, go ahead. Okay.
1: No, no apologies necessary. I'm just glad I was able to
5: unmute my mic this time successfully, <laughs> so I'm happy with that part. Um I've been waiting a long time really for a, a long time. I've been watching you folks and keeping track. So let me just give my my quick shout out to Caleb and Susan, Dr. Victory, Dr. Drew. Your, well, your you folks are fantastic. I want to make sure I get that out there first and foremost.
0: It's very kind, very kind, my friend.
5: Okay. okay, so right to it. I think the origin is important um, because that's the topic we're discussing. Uh, I don't think it's more so political. I think it's just looking at the facts, looking at the facts and, and getting it down to yeah. the origin that think that helps clarify mm-hmm. some pieces of it. But let me ask this. This is my my real
2: question. All right.
5: It, it, I've I heard you over a long period of time, Doctor Drew. Kind of, you know, you get you started off cold, but you're you're warming up to things being a little bit more clearer. You know, as far as some of the let's say things that have taken place that seem kind of questionable, right? That's okay. Kind
0: of. Yeah, like, I'm I'm serious. evolving my so, point of view. Yeah.
5: You are, and, and I've I've actually heard it, like over a period of time. So fantastic. Well, what I say is this. If you take all the things that have taken place, you know, as far as the information that's come out that was inaccurate, some of the results as far as when individuals have taken the vaccine and some of the side effects that haven't been too, um, we'll say positive, right? I'm trying to generalize all Mm -hmm. this. Um, And you take all of those things and then you let the pendulum swing, right? I have two checkpoints. One checkpoint is complete incompetence, right? So you take all those things and let it swing to Either complete incompetence or or malicious intent, or ignorance, and, and ignorance too.
0: Fred, you go. Don't forget ignorance. But
6: well, that's there with incompetence. You, know, you can look at ignorance, but I kinda, <laughs> yeah, I
0: guess so. <laughs> I kind of put that in with, with complete. All right.
6: incompetence. fair enough, right? fair I enough. Yeah. That.
0: So, but, so but malfeasance, malfeasance, or complete uh, ineptness.
5: Right, and I think that's really the thing that that irks me the most, is that when I label all these things, the information, how anyone who speaks up against it is automatically put into the corner, excuse me, uh, there's always some type of, of I don't know, the demonstrative effect against individuals that just kind of voice their opinion, yeah. and may, maybe they're not in accordance with the narrative, but nevertheless, they, they have the right to their opinion. Yeah, so sure. If you take all of those things and wonder why, because you keep asking this question, Dr. Drew, you always say, well, why are we doing medicine? How come they're not, you know, researching? This is normal medicine practices and things along those lines. So it, it you're asking that question because you it's something foreign, it sounds like, to you, yeah, yeah. and they're going against the grain, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's really what it seems like. Or, so, or something against,
0: um, you know, not just against the grain, Fred, but against... <laughs> against uh everything we learned from previous pandemics everything okay. that runs uh runs within our veins as clinicians you know our sort of approach to clinical problems I mean everything was oh, turned right. upside down in this in this oh, series yeah. of events it was really an and it continues to be and it's just an un, when you're used to your profession operating a certain right. way and all of a sudden it 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 completely uh, abandons so much oh. of what makes it um, effective. It 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 makes you it just is confusing.
5: It's confusing, and, and I'll I'll add this last point because I I know there's other people. But speaking on Doctor Victory's point earlier about the uh, Rochelle Walensky, and this is what I've been seeing. Mm. If you look at a certain time gap, it stings, and you can look at this. I I have data too. I'm a I'm a data analysis type of individual, so. It it seems, though, a lot of the individuals, if you take it back to February of 2020, Mm
2: -hmm.
5: a lot of individuals that were at the forefront, right, pressing, pushing, hey, we got to do this, make sure you do this. This is proven to be safe and effective. That's my favorite term, I think, that they use. But what I do see is slowly but surely, one by one, those individuals seem to be falling off. They, they, they yes. retire, yes, All of the they change positions, yeah. they right. disappear, right? And yeah. to me, and I'm just looking at it, I've been watching a lot of uh, mystery shows and investigative shows, I'm getting some tips. But to me, it seems as though mm. that's with intent. It seems like they were put out there to serve a purpose, mm. which is express confidence, get people on board. And I'm just saying, well, let's say hypothetically, I know Caleb will probably put this... Message underneath my while well, I'm speaking, but <laughs> it's I'm coming up. Don't is, worry. <laughs> what, what I'm I just want people to be honest and realistic, right? Yeah. I, it's okay to look at it from a scientific viewpoint or personal viewpoint. I'm just saying, look at the facts, look at the facts, and then draw a conclusion from there. And and what I just said, I think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that individuals are disappearing. I don't think it's a coincidence. Dr. Fauci was rah 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 with his pom poms and promoting it, and then all of a sudden he falls in the back. Or Rochelle Walensky, who's not even the CDC director, right? I mean, that's right. I mean, that's New information. yeah. But,
6: remember Deborah, remember well, Deborah Burks? These, the, this, this, mm-hmm. remember the scarf right. lady, Deborah Burks? Yeah, when's the last mm-hmm. time you I saw do, her?
5: I do indeed, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And, and I, I don't think that's it's accidental i don't think all these people's retirement plans just happen to come up at the same time i think that's <laughs> wow. that's a little bit more purposeful meaning that they served their purpose they pushed it out they got everybody on board and not slowly but surely they're disappearing and then they're they're going to put in new folks and it, it just seems like i don't know i'm not going to go too deep it just seems like more it's, so is
0: we're noting it it's noted we, we appreciate the observation. <laughs> we'll, I agree. Thanks, Fred. Really a good question. A good comment. I, I,
5: I we love you, Fred.
3: You got oh,
5: it. And I love you, folks, too. I had to get it out. Dr. Victory, too, I want to make sure I tell you this. Fantastic, right? Dr. Drew's coming on board, right? Slowly but surely. He's swimming <laughs> to the boat. But, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic.
0: All right, Fred. Okay. Thank and you,
1: on, uh, You guys have a wonderful day. Thank you, man. And interestingly, uh, just to add, we
0: Go sir.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I was just going to say we've seen just, the same in Australia. All the chief medical officer, um, you know, the head of uh, therapeutic uh, FDA equivalent in Australia, they're they're all stepping down right now. Um yeah. Yeah. So I think they yeah. served their purpose, and and uh, so. They, they, but you know, there's, um, but
0: they may have served their purpose, or they're sensing the the winds of yeah. war ahead. Change. That there's a change coming that they could, uh, you know. Incur some trouble if they tried to maintain the the positions and whatever's coming next. I, I want to bring up Christie, uh, Christie, who's also a a biotechnologist and has lots of good information about the banana particles. Christy. hi, Dr.
7: Hey Drew. Hi, Dr. Kelly. Victory hi. and Dr. Petrowski. Sorry, a long time. Uh, I've been gone. I've had sick family members and some other things. Um, so I am a manager and project manager of RNA and LMP recombinant proteins, etc. And uh, my question for Dr. Petrovsky actually is Kevin McKernan, who's a genomics expert. Uh, he developed the solid Sequencer for MIT. He uh, Gathered many samples, including a whole case, and had them sequenced, in, including by a company that's independent called Illumina. I don't know if you're familiar with them. And uh, this was confirmed on multiple continents that uh, the starter plasmid is present physically in those vials by one-third volume, the the double-stranded plasmid with the the promoter and the origin of replication, and where the uh, the gene, uh, if you're familiar with that. And uh, we have some thoughts on. That being uh, a reason why we're seeing uh, from a Zeta potential perspective for people that are have been following like my f- Substack, like it, it would have shifted the net charge on the lipid nanoparticle to negative. You know, it, it, did it go into the LNP then? And then, so I guess my questions for you are, um, obviously, you know, we don't have big media reporting on this, but if the starter plasmid landed in the vials in the production process alongside the RNA, and then got sucked up into the lipid nanoparticle. Uh, w- what are your thoughts on the consequences of that?
1: So I think what, what we're seeing and what you're discussing is is an issue that we would call quality control. Um, right. That and, and that's one of the reasons it takes, you know, 10 years to develop a vaccine normally, is you develop the vaccine in a year and then you sp- Spend nine years trying to get your quality control perfect, so that you know every dose of the vaccine is is very pure and it's it's all the same. And and you know the data, the little bit of data that we have seen um, on on these technologies, given that they were very new, they, they they'd never been manufactured at scale before. Tell me that there's a horrendous quality control issue going on. And that, you know, particularly in that first few years at least, there was no guarantee that what was in one vial was the same as what was in another. And, and that's a concern of itself, even if you, if you don't go into the question you're asking is, well, what could those contaminants do? First, you have to have a, a steady level of contaminants. Um, and then you're meant to characterize you know what's the potential risk of those contaminants and it doesn't look like any any of that work was done and and that that's a serious concern in its own right before you even ask um you know well what what could be the consequences of that um so they they're just all big you know warning signs usually when you know to a regulator that there that there's uncertainties, and that more work needs to be done before that product is is given to humans and and I think that that obviously was bypassed because of the sense of urgency. but you know, have those problems been fixed? Well, if they've never admitted to them, they've probably never been fixed, because it's only when you admit to a problem yeah. that that you actually put effort into getting it right so uh, yeah. I think these are I buying, Christy. You know, ideas.
0: Kelly. Go ahead.
6: Well, I, as you say, I can't speak uh, in any um uh, specifics to what Christy's talking about with regard to to this particular issue. But what we do know is that somewhere in the range of eighty percent of all of these serious adverse events in the United States, at least, have been traced back to somewhere around ten percent of the total vi- number of uh, batches. So there is clearly something and I, I agree with dr petrovsky we at a minimum you're talking about huge very vari- you know variation or lack of quality control because you should have uh, a relatively homogeneous distribution of adverse events uh across all batches if there's consistent quality control even if there's a problem with the product itself the fact that uh, we have such a disproportionate number of adverse events related to a relatively small number of batches is very, very troubling.
0: Yeah, and, and we again, have spoken to researchers. Go ahead. Yes, sir.
1: Yeah, no, and again, how do we get the data? Like, like you know, you know, people have made that conclusion. They've looked at the publicly available data on batches and, and matched it up to VAERS. We, you know... But we don't know, you know, were they given to different populations um, right, are other right, explanations. Right. But where's the regulator coming out and saying, <laughs> you know, we're aware people have raised this really worrying questions, and here are the answers. We, we're we going to show you why this is not some, something you shouldn't be worried about because we have other data that, that says that this right. isn't an issue. But the silence is deafening, and and that's the worrying yes. thing is that not that people are asking questions they're entitled to. They, they see these serious warning signs. They don't know whether they're right or wrong because they're not in the position to have all the data. But those who do have access to the data are not seemingly yeah. prepared to come out and, and reassure us um, that, that we've got it wrong. And, and you know, I think right. the regulators have a responsibility yeah. to explain yeah. a lot more and, uh, about what's going on.
0: Yeah. yeah. And we had yeah. uh, Sasha Latapova talking to us about, uh, you know, high concentrations in certain vats or parts of the vat. Right. Christy has been raising the alarm about uh, protein particles and R- R- mRNA particles. And now, Christy, it sounds like you're tilting at also really DNA mechanisms. Yeah. that are con- Yeah. Because- yeah, go ahead.
7: I didn't mean to interrupt. So, all right. So, if, so for everybody, the central dogma of biology is DNA to RNA mm-hmm, to a protein mm-hmm. and RNA goes into the arm and it uses the cells machinery to make a protein, but that lipid nanoparticle houses a bunch of things, including the RNA, and then it hits the cells machinery. And then it has the instructions to make the protein for a D if a DNA, if those DNA plasmids were not separated out with the RNA, which, uh, in multiple continents, multiple scientists are confirming now, it's in there by 30% by mm-hmm. volume per mm-hmm. vial. Crazy. Then then the plasmid went into the lipid nanoparticle. And so the question is, because we've we've read studies, that can transfect the nucleus. Right. And, and then that- and then also uh Dr. Uh Hazan, did I pronounce her name right? Like I've read studies, she was worrying about the bacteria in the the gut. There was a study that I found that shows when bacteria overexpresses a protein, it kills itself uh, 99% of the time, like a self-defense mechanism. So then we've got the the negative charge so because it's supposed to be like minus 3 millivolts per visors uh, mm-hmm. own documentation for the lipid nanoparticle and the plasmids really negatively charged mm-hmm. so if some of those plasmids got sucked up into the LNP and then that would create a more negatively charged particle and then it would leak into the vascular which uh yeah. the precision yeah. nano systems i think you and i talked about that was even a concern and that's where you'd see yeah. the clots.
0: No these and again uh, the the insane thing is that you're raising these very legitimate questions, and they're not being answered or even thought about, which seems just astonishing. uh Christy, thank you as right. always. I, I've got to keep moving. We've got a bunch of calls here, and uh, we have Charles, I believe next to yeah, Charles Rixie, Charles Charles, you got to unmute your your microphone there in the lower left hand corner. her Caleb's cartoon. Uh, there you yes, are can you? Yes, we got you.
4: Okay, so uh, I'm a, uh, a member of Drastic, so I've been investigating the origin of the virus. And I run in some similar circles as, as Dr. Petrovsky. But uh, one thing that, that people don't realize is that when these scientists got together on February 1st, 2020, they, and they were first talking about the furin cleavage site and, and whether or not that it looked unnatural, Dr. Fauci already knew that the furin cleavage site existed, and we know this because by January 13th of 2020, his Vaccine Research Center had made the decision to retain that furin cleavage site when they sent off their prototype sequence to Moderna. And and that's a fact, that's in peer-reviewed literature and everything. So my question would be to Dr. Petrovsky, What do you think the, like, why do you think they kept it, first of all, because this was incongruent with with previous vaccine manufacturing? And then secondly, what, why do you think he would not
2: talk about that publicly for for nearly two
1: months? So, so in terms of why they kept it, they, they mutated it. So um, they, they kept. The, the four amino acids that appear to be unnatural, but they mutated them so that no longer would furin cleave that spot. In our vaccine, we actually just removed them completely and put it back to the SARS sequence, and that's worked beautifully. Um, but, but both methods um, turn out to, to work. In terms of Dr. Fauci, I mean, Dr. Fauci was not part, I suspect, of any of the work at the vaccine centre. You know, he's, he's, he's in the ivory tower, effectively, <laughs> you know, running all the programs. So he's not doing any of the science. So um, to be fair to him, um, I don't know to what extent he would have been involved in any of that uh, work being done by the vaccine centre with Moderna. I suspect he wouldn't have known about much of it.
2: Charles, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. What concerns me is that in
4: the literature, they they specify that they did not mutate. Because I know that typically they either mutate or remove those sequences. But in, in this case, they explicitly said that they did not mutate it away. And even Barney Graham himself, the, the number two person who made that decision, said that this was against um, like like common uh, logical thought for for vaccine manufacture, And the the other odd thing is that Pfizer did the exact same thing, even though um, Pfizer's head of vaccine research, Philip Dormitzer, was on camera several years earlier during the gain of function debates stating that they would always remove urine cleavage sites from vaccines. And if they ever found it, they would destroy the entire batch. And in that case, it was referring to influenza, but this has been common throughout the different
2: vaccines. So it, it seems like they didn't mutate it.
1: Yeah, so um, again, what happened in those early days, I think, is people made multiple different vaccine constructs um and and we did the same so we we had um, proteins where we we left the furin cleavage site in we made ones where we removed the furin cleavage site Uh, ultimately the ones where we removed the furin cleavage site um, did a lot better because they the protein was more stable um And I think, you know, I can't speak to every vaccine and what sequence they ended up using, but the the vast majority of the ones I'm aware of, in the final product, um, rather than what they might have done in those first few days, um, the furin cleavage site, uh, in most of them, has been mutated, um, like in in Novavax. um, uh, As I say, I can't speak as much to the mRNA because... I'm more focused on the protein side. But most people did end up mutating or removing the furin cleavage site.
0: Dr. Petrovsky has been very generous with his time. We have kept him way beyond what we normally do. And it's early in the morning (laughs) in Australia. And we've been uh, hammering him with all kinds of uh, questions from many, many different angles of this topic. And we appreciate you rolling with all the uh, diversity of ideas and questions that have come your way. Uh, Kelly, I wonder if you have any last thoughts.
6: No, I just again I appreciate it so much uh, because you've you really look at this from a lot of different angles, having been someone who successfully created an alternative uh, vaccine. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I think so much of what we've um, it, what we've witnessed in these past three years has fallen into two two big groups: one, the uh, you know egregious and sort of you know unnecessary mandates and limitations and shutdowns, and then everything we've seen that has been a result of. What I consider to be a rushed and relatively unnecessary vaccine that's caused more harm than it's worth. Uh, so I think you you bring a tremendous uh, sort of your your. Uh vision on this is really in and, and perspective is really appreciated yes. um and yes. I, again, yeah. and I that, appreciate that. your willingness to talk about it. you know, drew and I started this <laughs> yeah. show really as a result yeah. of what used to be the cornerstone of medicine. It's what doctors used to do is you know get together right. and and argue theories and say, We well, have yeah, but what about this, or did you consider and, that yeah. um and it's uh it, it it's been missing and yeah, that
2: we,
0: absolutely uh, uh, and- been the object. And that you've been the object of the scrutiny and silencing and yeah. cancelling and that you've lived in a country that went in insanely far over their skis. Let's be, let's be honest here. They just did ridiculous yeah. things. I do not know how you maintain your equanimity. I do not get it. But yeah. uh, I appreciate it nevertheless. And we'll give yes. you kind of last words here.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. Look, um, uh, I, I think it's great to be able to, to talk um, and slowly, you know, opportunities are opening up. I mean, I was taken off LinkedIn for over a year. I, I looked at the comment. And I think, what's what's wrong with the comments I made? I mean, I'm a vaccine developer. Um, you know, I've, I've made scientifically valid comments that are referenced. Uh, I was removed off LinkedIn, which I was astonished by. So, so hopefully I'm back there, um, you know, uh, hopefully the world is slowly coming back to normal. But I, I think we have to talk a lot more and, because we aren't all the way back to normal, um, no. though we, you know, we might yeah, like to think so. Um, and, and we really need to um, encourage, I guess, inquiries and, and, and formal um, assessments of what, what happened, what went wrong. How do we stop this ever happening again? Um, yeah. I think as Dr. Mm-hmm. Drew said, you know, everyone threw out the rule book. The WHO threw out their own rule book on pandemics. Right. You know, at the, you know, the Australian government threw out their rule book. We'd spent 50 years writing those rule books based on all the science that we knew. Why did we throw yeah. them out? Um, it made yeah. no sense. And, and um, we have to go back to what happened and how do we get back to the rule book? Because the rule book actually is pretty good and it doesn't talk about mandates and forcing people right. to do things. Um, you know, it, it it's more about how do we limit the damage, you know, as the virus comes through and, and obviously ultimately get the world to a point oh. where we have natural immunity, which still is the most robust protection that, right. that we can get. But we but we have to find the safe, an effective way to get there, um, but we weren't allowed to oh. explore that, and and we need to know why, and and we need to find a way to stop that happening again.
6: Well, again, thank you for joining Amen. us. We'll have you back yes. anytime. That would be true. We'd Lots love to have you back. back. I'm so yeah.
3: happy we get to we get to speak openly here. We are the media, it, it, and we're not going to let this stop us you that know is
0: my producer wife uh, behind the scenes yeah. there who runs this operation and i'm i though as we we're talking or the about the french this,
3: underground media but yeah, we, but uh,
0: yeah i know we feel like yeah. the french underground throughout this pandemic but 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 the again i'm i'm remarking at your equanimity and i'm wondering if it's the influence of the you know queen victoria and the commonwealth or if you're going to go in the back room <laughs> and punch a bag after <laughs> we finish this right i i wonder but it did make me start thinking about how insane we have all been and uh i was reading something recently about how the carthaginian empire when surrounded carthage when surrounded by the romans they started sacrificing children they just went nuts and like we got to do something and that's how insane humans get when they're in a panic and so the and so the media has a very significant um, duplicitous influence over what happened here, and it's what I saw at the beginning. I kept telling people, just start, just don't listen to the media. Just, just they need to shut up. And of course, they allowed the media to drive this thing yeah. into the. Uh, the He's excesses been saying it that since it beca- day one. Since the excesses day one. That it became. So- and then
3: you know he got targeted, but I want the audience to. Hmm. I always put out share if you care on the on the feeds to everybody, and I want everybody to share this because. You know, it may not look like a headline that anybody's interested in, but it is really good information for everybody to share Mm. and go, listen, I heard this thing and you should listen to it. If you know somebody who's interested in that or it's super, you know, just so that they can hear the facts.
4: And uh, speaking of speaking of headlines, I'm I'm very excited to read all of the articles and tweets that are about to happen about how Dr. Drew is an anti-vaxxer after we just hosted yet another vaccine inventor on the show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's awesome. funny you know, say.
3: That,
1: Go ahead. Uh, I, 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 I actually had a, a newspaper article that uh, that said that I was the picture boy for the anti-vaxxers, which I found is <laughs> someone who spent uh, my whole life developing vaccines and trying to encourage, you know, the appropriate use of vaccines to, to have the anti-vax label um put put on uh, you know on my uh, portrait yeah I mean, it's just astonishing that they, they could get away with, with with that sort of thing that they have and um, no, we have you know again, we have to find a way to to, to stop that happening again
6: right Right. It's
0: the it's right. the vaccine researcher face of anti vaxxers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, trying to so, trying
6: to parade around masquerade as a vaccine inventor. Yeah, well, I, I'm, EU, I'm I'm by, I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm uh, piling on the what they did to uh, I'm blanking out his name here in California, uh, the African American uh, broadcaster. Anyway, who ran for governor any event, that's uh, the way the press works. And uh, I think uh, more to be revealed. Thank you both. Uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. And uh, again, vaccine.net for uh, Dr. Petrovsky and Caleb. V A
3: X I N E.net.
0: Correct. And uh, put yes. Kelly's stuff up there, Caleb, if you don't mind. Yep. Um, and I will see. Oh, yes, yes I will Cole be Sapphire back. on Monday. Yep. You'll be back and on I'll the be 17th back with you on, for a in Malhotra. Yeah, I I interviewed him months ago at the beginning of all this. I'm interested to see how his situation has changed. His stuff was very compelling. He was, of course, very much taken to task for daring to say the things he said. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see what what is up with him. Uh, And uh, Kelly, earlycovidcare.org. Are we still pushing that? Yep.
6: Yep. Earlycovidcare.org and uh, at Dr. Kelly Victory on Twitter.
0: Thank you, guys. And we'll see everyone on Monday with Nicole Sapphire. We'll be gone the rest of this week and uh, do Monday, Tuesday, and I believe Wednesday next week, Susan,
6: yes? Yep, Wednesday. Wednesday is Dr. Malhotra. All right, thanks. That's it.
0: Correct. See you then. Three o'clock. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only.